0: what is up and welcome to the 49ers Camelot show i'm excited to have you excited to be here and i'm real excited to have johnny dell of johnny dell's football academy this is going to be fun man because this guy knows his stuff i've seen him uh break down film watch uh watch his stuff whenever i can and uh he does great work johnny thanks so much for joining us
1: well, thank you, Mark, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a joy to come on, and uh, it's fun to have this interaction because you've written and done so many things for the Web Zone over the years, and I got my start in the forums of the Web Zone. So uh, oh, yeah. you know, there, there's uh, a good connection there, and uh, you know that's been a, a good place for a lot of 49ers talk and content over the years.
0: Yeah, a lot of content creators came for, or got their start in, in, at 49ers web zone in one way or another i had uh, one of my first guests was oscar Aparicio, and so back in the day i remember him being in those forums as a moderator and and uh, and, and those those were fun times and then i had um, i've had a couple of people that were from niners nation and they told me hey we got our start there and and so uh, it's been co- pretty cool to see how how this content creation universe for the 49ers has evolved because everybody seems to be so supportive of each other, and I think that that's really cool.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I love the 49ers content creator uh, world and kind of orbit of people who have really, you know, we all, I think a lot of us came from the perspective of we're not trying to do this just to cover the NFL or cover something just to do it but it's birthed out of a true passion for the team and that's what I love hearing from is people who have a true passion for the team because it pushes you to go deeper it pushes you to know more pushes you to uh to want something from the team and it just makes you more passionate about your content yeah. Uh, overall
0: Yeah. that's uh it's a lot of fun and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with different people and, and get different perspectives. And, and so I like meeting with people like you because of I, I'm not the film guy. So I, I played in high school. I coached when I became an adult, um, so I know the game. But I just don't take the time to study film and break it down. And so I rely on people like you and John Chapman and 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 Oscar back in the day when they had the Better Rivals podcast. Because I think that you guys are the stars because you, you really cut this up and, and, uh, and, and help the rest of us kind of understand what's going on. And so how much time do you spend doing that?
1: Oh, boy, uh, that's a good question. Um, so for for anybody who's seen my weekly review videos, that's usually anywhere from a 12 to 16 hour process. Um, wow. That's going to be so just as a the ins and outs of it, the film itself. So if we look at the Giants game, for example, the Ford offensive film, just the offensive film was an hour and nine minutes. That's if you hit play and run it to the end. And that's not broadcast angles. That's you're going to get an all 22, both end zone views. So you're watching each play three times from different angles. And then, and this is sped up a lot faster than the broadcast. view. You're getting about five seconds, six seconds before the snap. It depends on how much movement goes sure. on between there. But so just to watch the offensive sides a minute or an hour, nine defensive side, it, it was very apparent how much the 49ers controlled the ball in that game because the defensive <laughs> film was like 38 <laughs> minutes long. Right. Um, you know, so in the end, it's almost two hours just to watch it straight through. That's not stopping and rewinding. Um, And because I wasn't the one calling the plays, you don't know exactly what play was called before you see it. And so you kind of got to watch it a few times to see what exactly was the play that was called, especially passing plays to see, okay, you're looking at this side and then you're looking at that side. And then you go back and look for coverage clues and figure that out. So just to watch through the film takes anywhere from four to five hours. And then Holy there comes cow. the script writing process. Um, and, and I'm doing that like, and as I'm going back and forth and watching some things and then trying to take a break every once in a while, because you know, it's pretty hard on the eyes to watch for four or five hours straight. Uh, usually it's me and a big cup of coffee, like three cups of coffee <laughs> and, um, and then go through and script it out, pick what plays I'm going to show. Cause it takes so much time to edit them out that I don't want to, I don't want to overwhelm myself and make it to where I, I can't really put something out that's that, that either dips the quality or makes it overwhelming. I try and pick between 22 and 25 plays. And so it's it becomes, okay, what is the story of the game? That's really what I look through when I'm watching that film through the first time. What's the story of the game? And then how do I tell that from the film? Um, and so... I select plays that tell the story of the game of, of the crucial or crucial points in the game and then write the script out, record the audio, uh, then edit it all out. So the whole process, I mean, sometimes it can be as short as 12 hours. Sometimes it's been 16, 17, 18 hours. Wow. Uh, when I've done um, preview videos of our opponents because that usually involves watching three games and then and cutting some of that stuff up and then going back and finding plays to show as examples of how we do stuff. Those videos I usually reserve those for the playoffs because they take me twenty to twenty four hours um, of straight work. So it's usually two straight twelve hour days of work. People have always asked me why I, you know you should do preview videos of our opponents and scouting videos, and that's why I don't do them because uh, <laughs> yeah. I do work a, I do have a, a full time job outside away from this. Holy so cow. yeah, during playoffs becomes very very busy.
0: <laughs> Man, well that's why I think that uh, those of you that do that stuff are the true stars of the content creation world because, uh, of the, of your commitment. Randy Daytona's in the uh, chat and he's, uh, telling us what's up. So thanks for joining us, Randy. So let's jump into this. I, I wanted to ask you, what have you seen since you, since you've been breaking down film, what have you seen from the 49ers so far that makes you think that this team has a real chance to win the Super Bowl?
1: I think it's just the the sheer breadth of talent. I was almost about to say depth of talent. That's one of the only things that you worry about with this team is, you know, they have so much talent across the board and the starting roles that when you lose one of those guys, anybody's going to be a big impact. But the breadth of talent on this team is just astounding. And that's part of what you can have when you have your your starting quarterback making less than a million dollars mm-hmm. but you look at the talent on the offensive side of the ball with trent williams and george kittle and christian mccaffrey debo samuel brandon iuk you know that kyle Ushek, that's a lot of talent on that part on that side of the ball and then you look at the defense and they are really the defense is you could almost make an argument is loaded up with even more talent than the offensive side of the ball when you're looking at Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw, Hafanga, Charverius Ward, Nick Bosa, Hargrave, Armstead. I mean, this is a veritable just monster lineup that they're coming out with, and so you have stars at every single level and every yeah. single position group. Guys that are near the top of the NFL. There's very. I, I think maybe the Eagles could say that. But even then, I think the Eagles have taken a step back this year. Other than that, is there is there a team in the NFL that you can look at and say that every single position group has a star at that level? I don't think so. And so when you see San Francisco, I mean, I, that the talent is just overwhelming uh, to say that they have to be one of the top four teams as far as odds to win the Super Bowl this year.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. So I've got a couple of guys here in the uh, in the chat. Jason uh is is here Jason Massey. Uh let's see so the Centennial is in and he asked a question. Uh let me see if I can find that. Um is that a painting of the million dollar backfield?
1: No, it's not. That's uh Joe Montana at number sixteen and then number thirty eight. I'm trying to remember who number thirty eight was is That Bill Ring. Is that who yes. that was? Yeah. Uh that was actually a painting given to me by a Seahawks fan. Uh, surprisingly back <laughs> out in Washington.
0: <laughs> well, they, what would they need with, with a 49ers? Apparently, well, I
1: guess it was their parents. Like it was their oh, dads okay. that they had been a 49ers fan. They had the painting. Uh, they were a Seahawks fan. Didn't want it. They knew I was a huge 49ers fan. And so it was a fantastic gift.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening to this uh, and you, you're only listening on the audio version of it, um, Johnny has a, painting of joe montana handing the ball off to bill ring this had to have been like 81 somewhere around there because bill ring wasn't he wasn't on the team for too many years but um that's pretty cool so josh is in the chat he said what's up fellas sub josh good to have you centennial said that the face mask threw him off so yeah old school all right, so let me ask you this. So you just made the case of why the 49ers could definitely win the Super Bowl. Is there anything you've seen that makes you concerned so far?
1: You know, not really as far as a glaring thing. The only concerns I guess I would really have is can we cover the slot and man coverage uh, with Isaiah Oliver and or what's this rotation going to look like if they put Ambry Thomas back on the outside and Lenore in the slot? You know, figuring out that sort of 12th position on defense is is the question mark right now it's something Mm. that we saw during preseason we thought was going to be Isaiah Oliver he struggled in preseason then it became a question mark and it still kind of is and yeah. we're playing a lot more man coverage than we have in the past couple of years with D'Amico Ryan's, a lot more man coverage. And so that's that's a question to me. Uh, I don't know if it's a full concern, uh, but it does make you worried going against team, the the better teams in the league that have a few more weapons across the board, how you match up against that. Um, then the other side would be just health. I think that's what the mm-hmm. thing that we've looked at this team for many years now going back to 2020 and always felt like health is the one thing that gets us every year is that you know 2021 they went into the nfc championship game against the rams so banged up so many guys either out or walking wounded uh just trying to tough it out but clearly not playing at the level they normally would and then obviously last year with brock purdy tearing these ucl in that same in the nfc championship game you know and and last year we had so many injuries at the front of the year so the question is are is this going to be the season i think many of us hold our breath a little bit coming out of these games going okay is there going to be somebody that pops up on the injury report as uh as this is going to be missing they're going to go on short-term ir or you know something like that um so for me maybe it's just the paranoia of the last few seasons but it's it's what are the injury concerns going to be going forward? It's week three and we're doing well. So yeah. uh, we feel good about that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this time every other year we weren't doing well at this point. So uh, injury wise. So, so yeah, definitely a good, uh, good start. So let me ask you this. Well, before I, before I jump into Javon Kinlaw, cause I want to ask you about him. You mentioned Isaiah Oliver. Do you think that he's a better matchup against bigger receivers and maybe not the guy that we want in there when when it's a smaller guy like like if cooper cup was playing um later in the season how do you see like how do you see him is he better versus one uh versus the other
1: he definitely struggles a little bit versus the smaller shiftier guys um he's a physical corner or physical defensive back and that's what you see it's they how they want him want to use him that was one thing that was clear become or has become clear watching the film that they liked from him is that he's very physical. And one thing about the 49ers from that nickel position, some, some people call it a star position, but it's a, it's a, it's a position that they're going to have to get involved in the run game mm-hmm. and they're going to be put in space to tackle. And we've seen him make some really good tackles in space and get physical there against the Rams. I remember, you know, he had a, a big stop short of the first down uh, on a, on a yep. pass on into the flat. And he had that big stop on fourth down against the giants. They hit a swing, uh, a little quick out uh, towards the sideline. Uh, it was like third and two and he stopped it for, I think it was a loss of a yard and, and forced fourth down you know those sorts of plays are why he's there now he's not the quickest feet guy so he can struggle with that but one thing that was interesting to notice that how Wilkes went into the Giants game that was different from when they were game planning with Ambry Thomas to start the game was that Charverius Ward was traveling he hasn't done that a lot in Mm. the past so Charverius Ward wasn't you know there was one play or several plays where the Giants would put uh, put somebody over They they would have two receivers to one side and they would have one receiver to the other and Isaiah Oliver was to the single receiver side and Charverius Ward was playing the receiver in the slot. And so he's traveling with their best receiver. So if it comes to a situation like Cooper Cup and he's in the slot, I see Wilkes actually moving Ward around and keeping him on Charvarius Ward or Lenore, you know, whoever he thinks is going to handle that two way space better, is that somebody's going to be going with another team's star receiver if they're trying to match up on uh, Isaiah Oliver
0: in the slot. You mentioned Ambry Thomas. What do you, what, what do you think about him? Because I, I'll tell you that I have been pretty vocal that I get nervous when he's in the game, um, and I go back to that 2021 season, the finale when he uh, picked off that pass to put the 49ers in the in the playoffs. I I have not gone back and I haven't watched the All 22 or anything like that, but. I swear, when I've seen that over and over again, it looked like Odell Beckham Jr. had beat him. And if uh, if the quarterback didn't underthrow him, maybe that game ends differently. Now, again, I haven't gone back and and like looked at different angles, but that ever since then, I just haven't really believed that he's the guy. What what do you think about Ambry Thomas? Is he is is he good enough to be out there? Ambry Thomas
1: has the physical tools. He's, he's got good length. He's got a lot of speed. He's got good feet. Ambry Thomas's biggest problem has been not playing his technique really well, not nailing down on the coverage uh, particulars really well. So that play in particular, yeah, he was out of phase. So Odell had a few steps on him. Now, what he did do well on that play was that he squeezed him along the sideline and he made mm. the this throw a really tight window throw. So, you know, in, in that sense, it was okay. In the other sense, you know, if if Stafford makes a, a better throw there, yeah, that that's probably a completion to Beckham. And, and like you said, that game ends a little bit differently. Um, you know, it was after the uh, the second game, Ambry Thomas came out after halftime. Uh, and, and or excuse me, it was after the first game. The first game we had against the Steelers, Ambry Thomas comes out after halftime. And... I had the back and forth with some Peter people on Twitter because I watched the film and, and I saw what happened in that first half. And I tweeted, I said, the only negative out of this game was that Avery Thomas ended up getting pulled because of some poor play. And halftime, people said no, no, no. He was in a concussion protocol. He was injured. It wasn't performance related. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> From right. what I saw, because he came back in later in the game. I saw him on special teams and, and he was actually in the game on Hafunga's interception. And Kyle Shanahan was asked about that in his presser, and he said, uh, I can't really tell you the, the particulars mm-hmm. of that, but yeah, maybe if you watch the film, you might be able to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, so, but so, you know, good luck if, if you want to do that. Well, I had watched the film, and I knew I saw what was going on. We, we were running – it was – Right before the two-minute drill, we are running a, a coverage called Palms coverage a lot, or some people call it read two. It's cover four, and but the the defense reads the release of the number two receiver. And if he runs an out route five yards or less, sometimes they'll, they'll move it to six yards, then it converts to cover two on that side. And so the outside guy, Ambry Thomas, he's, he's supposed to read the release of the number two, and if that guy runs a quick out, jump that route because the deeper route's gonna go to the safety and he's gotta play aggressively to sideline, especially on in two minute drill. Well, they ran that coverage three times in a row and twice out of that, the Steelers went after him with a quick out from the number two and he didn't convert to cloud mm. or he didn't convert to the flat coverage. And it gave up like a seven, eight yard completion and let them get out of bounds. That's one thing you cannot do in a two minute drill. Yeah, and And at the very start of the two minute drill, He gave up a quick pass to the flat. I think we were in uh, cover three, and he had a he went for the guy's legs. And he what you have to do in that situation you have to tackle high because if you tackle high you'll force somebody back and that's a that's a, a forward progress. Uh, Stoppage It's not So if you hit the guy high And you move him backwards And he goes out of bounds That's forward progress Not out of bounds So the clock continues to run He went after the guy's legs That's, that's That's a mental mishap And the guy hurtled over him And went out of bounds So you know, those are those are lapses that you can't have in those moments because that's what allowed the game to get even within striking distance mm-hmm. for the Steelers because they were able to move down and score a touchdown. Yep. And then there was another play. I think it was cover three. He ended up – they ran a, a deep comeback on him, and he just – he kept like a six-yard cushion the whole way, and the guy, get a little comeback, was able to, to gain and then move forward and go out of bounds. It's another one of those situations, again – if you're playing a little bit tighter and you touch the guy while he's moving backwards, that's a forward progress play. The clock continues to go. So it was just particulars of the situation of the game that really didn't like. There was another play started out early. They ran a sweep outside and Cleveland Farrell disrupted the play. We had, like, everybody kind of made a gang tackle. The only guy that was in the area that didn't get involved in that tackle was Avery Thomas. He wasn't real physical there. He's literally, he just kind of o'laid him and then just kind of stood there and watched <laughs> five guys tackle, tackle yeah. him, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those I I want Abraham Thomas to do well, but when you see that kind of stuff on film, it's very very frustrating mm-hmm. because you know the physical tools are there. It's just the light bulb hasn't seemed to gone on. Yeah. And and so, you know, that's how I kind of feel about Abriem Thomas.
0: Wow, great stuff. Well, let's talk about Javon Kenlaw because I'm wondering has he finally turned the corner because he's looked good so far. He's no longer the guy in the middle, that has all this pressure. He has, you know, first round pick, ha- has to replace DeForest Buckner, which was really unfair because Buckner's so good. But now, with Javon Hargrave there and Kenlaw is just a rotational piece, it seems like, for one thing, he's healthy, finally. And for another thing, it seems like that pressure being lifted off of him has really helped him. He's not facing as many double teams. How do you see Ken is, is, has he turned a corner here?
1: You know, I feel like this is, this is a situation that Kinlaw really could have benefited from his first year or a second year in the sense that, you know, and I know that wasn't an option. You know, he was, he part of how we got him was and why they were willing to get him was the trade away of DeForest Buckner. So, You know it wasn't really the option but what you see is that they've simplified his tasks so much and they've let him just it's almost like letting a guy you know uh who's just pure chaos just pointing that chaos at something constructive Mm now and so what he's he's because he's only playing about 25 30 percent of the snaps now Instead of 70% of the snaps, he's not being asked to do a big variety of things. When he's there, his job is very simple. They're not asking him to, to be involved in a lot of possible line, slunts, line slants excuse me, um, against possible run plays where he's having to read a lot. It's, it's, they'll line him up if they, if they think it's going to be a rundown when he's there on rotational. It's very much you're here at the three technique, dominate the guard, keep your gap. That's all it is, you know, and uh, and then a lot of times they're bringing him in on in passing situations where it's, again, dominate the guy in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that allows him to let loose the physical, just raw ability that he has. And just that the I mean, he is a a physically extremely impressive defensive lineman. His problems have been understanding how he fits within the entire scheme of the defense Mm -hmm. of playing a multitude of roles in that defense uh and techniques and pad level things like that but it's just like if he if he can is just allowed to to kind of attack in one thing, he, you, have seen the results. And I think this is now great. Okay. Get him this year, get him this year of, of doing this. See if you can bring him back on a cheap contract next year and let's keep him there, you know, cause I, I think you're seeing the potential of what he could be going forward.
0: Yeah, that's been uh, it's, it's been impressive and you make a great point that he's, he's not having to think as much. And you know, when you're a young player and you've missed so much time due to injuries, like he has, it's going to take longer for you to develop because you're not getting the chance to play and to, uh, develop Centennial said, personally, we need a replacement for the skill level that Jason Verrett brought to the team in 2020. If Patrick Sartan can be 70 or 80% of what Jason was in 2020, that would be great. that, that is one, uh, man losing Verrett, uh, boy, that hurt, uh, Not just not just for the team selfishly, but for him uh, on a personal level, that that was hard, hard to lose a guy like that.
1: Yeah. You know, Verrett was a top tier talent. I remember when we signed him the very first time I went back and I watched all of his film from the Chargers. I was like, I didn't know much about him because he'd been a guy who was injured so much. And there there wasn't a lot of, you know, he wasn't a household name. But watching his film, I was so impressed. So mm-hmm. impressed. I, it was just like one of those, you, you came out of the game going, man, each game you watch, this guy is solid, solid, solid. I remember I, I was right early in the early days of my channel, and I did a video on him. And I I think I put it on the 49ers subreddit, and a bunch of people were coming at me going yeah you know that this there this is this is from two years ago this guy's not going to be any good he's been been hurt and all this stuff and then to see him battle through those injuries and then in 2020 when he got on the field he was exactly what i thought he would be from his film before and then just the the injuries piling up on injuries for him um patrick Sertan, just for everybody who, who may not have heard me say this before, uh, he was my draft crush going into that year. Uh, you know, what I really wanted personally was uh, for the 49ers to draft draft Patrick Sertan coming out of Alabama. I was a huge Patrick Sertan fan, and I think Patrick Sertan is a better corner than Jason Verrett was. Um, hmm. You know, now, I would be just beyond... Uh, shocked if the Broncos let him out the, out the door. I don't think yeah. they're ever letting him out the door. I mean, he's, he's a champ Bailey kind of guy yeah. that he's going to be a cornerstone of that defense for the next 15 years.
0: Yeah. It, but uh, I, I do agree with Centennial, man. It'd be great. I, I, I love Diamador Lenore, but if they could upgrade there, that would be even better. So let me ask you this on, uh, on Sunday, I tweeted out something about how we've been, for, for years now, we've been relying on the 49ers' defense to carry the offense. Have we reached a point that, they, that that doesn't have to happen anymore? This offense, not that they're carrying the defense, but are they good enough that they actually could? I mean, in that Rams game, the 49ers' offense did kind of carry the day.
1: Yeah, you know, it's been one of those things for a little while that sometimes the offense was streaky, and a lot of that had to do with that Jimmy Garoppolo was streaky. Sometimes you'd have he'd he'd have I I think I was I was messaging a, a Raiders content creator this week uh you know because of the struggles there and I said look Jimmy is notorious for starting a season slow you go back and look at his stats at the beginning of the 2018 season before he tore his ACL not great you look at 2019 not great I think he opened the the, the year throwing two picks bad picks to the against the Buccaneers and we won because we we had more interceptions than the Buccaneers did um because you know James Winston was just throwing them left and right <laughs> And 2000 last year, 2022, did not start out good. 2021, we start out three and five, right? I said, you know, Jimmy's golden zone is like weeks eight through sixteen. Uh, you know, that's when Jimmy is usually doing a lot better. And the offense hasn't been as streaky. And it also, you have Christian McCaffrey, who is just, I mean, he is like built for a la- in a lab for this offense. The what he do- brings to this offense is it's, I mean, he's. Kyle Shanahan's Ricky Waters, you know yeah. Mike. Mike had Ricky Waters, who was the do everything back and was able to do so much and brought such a, an explosive element from the running back position as a weapon in the run game and in the pass game. Christian McCaffrey's that. He's he's Kyle Shanahan's Terrell Davis, a guy who can run this zone scheme so well, so well. And that ties everything together. Now you have the emergence of Brandon Ayuk that this team is, is allowed to be a place where they always are able to be their identity on offense. They're not, an, and Brock Purdy's been taking care of the ball. So they are not mm-hmm. having to drop back 10 plays in a row. Our offensive line is not built for that. They're, they're not built to be pass blockers. You know, they're they're guys who are meant to be run blockers, mobile, able to get on the move and use that to set up your play action. And then in the sh- in the dropback passing game, is going to be short, quick. It's going to be a timing base. The ball is going to come out quick. You're not going to sit there and have seven-step dropbacks and, and throwing the ball 35 yards down the field on dropback passes. So I th- think both of them in there have allowed this team to just stick with the, what they do really well in their identity.
0: Yeah. So Kali said, I predicted this offseason our offense will finish top five. Yeah, they're looking like uh, like a, a top five offense for sure. Centennial said, one can carry the other, making up for any weaknesses. Either side of the ball has that weak. The question is, can Brock Purdy put the team on his back and get it done in the biggest moment? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question. Can Brock Purdy carry the team in those moments where he's going to have to? And what, what I just think back to is uh, in the Super Bowl, when the Chiefs came back and, and took the lead, and now everybody knows that the 49ers have to throw the ball, all of a sudden they can't block Chris Jones. And then in the NFC Championship game against the Rams, the Rams came back, took the lead. All of a sudden, the 49ers can't throw the ball. They can't block Aaron Donald. And so that is... I think that is the big question when they get in a big game against an Eagles front or somebody like that. If they're in a situation where they're going to have to throw the ball, can they do it? I think that is the big question.
1: It absolutely is the big question, and you know, even going back to what you said uh, against the Rams, we also sometimes forget too that there was Vaughn Miller going against Tom Compton and then Trent <laughs> Williams on one leg. You know, remember Trent <laughs> yeah. Williams was right. uh, was had had that horrible ankle sprain, and so you got Aaron Donald in the middle working against your interior guys, and you got Vaughn Miller going wild <laughs> on either tackle, and they had Leonard Floyd, and he's he's going against your tackles. Your tackles are are not anywhere close to what you had say week fourteen. Yeah, you know that's a huge problem I think I think the difference is and and people I think that's the question about Brock Purdy right now can you get can he get it done if he has to put the team on his back and I and I always look at it that Brock Purdy's not going to be you know if, if what is our standard for him putting the team on his back is it Mahomes you know where we see him going forward and flick a ball 40 yards down the field that it looks like it's literally comes out of a jugs machine like that that that's inhuman kind of stuff are we going to see that no do we need that from brock Purdy to win a super bowl no Uh, i think if if he does it it's going to be in a different way and if you go back to last year's super bowl you know mahomes only threw for like 140 yards and and so it doesn't you're not looking that your quarterback has to throw for 800 yards against the eagles or or against the chiefs to win in those situations If Brock Purdy's getting it done, it's going to be more along the lines of a Montana or a Tom Brady, Mm -hmm. where him putting it on his back doesn't look like he's putting it on his back. It's his ability to deliver the ball to the guys who can make the plays, to make the right throws at the right time, to not get rattled in the pressure moments. So... I I, I don't know if Brock Purdy, the way he plays quarterback, if he will ever actually get credit for putting the team on his back, unless, you know, we're sitting here and uh, the 49ers are nine times Super Bowl champions, you know, (laughs) maybe then, you know, because it took Tom to what his fourth, fifth Super Bowl to people started to say, okay, maybe there is something to this Tom (laughs) guy. You know, he uh, because he did not get credit for putting the team on his back for multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Brock Purdy if there's success there because of the way he plays quarterback and the way that he functions in this offense. And the one thing about Brock Purdy and and why I say I, I see it more akin to that montana brady type is if he's putting the team on his back in those big moment situations then you're not gonna have need two three drives in a game back to back where he's got to throw the ball every time because he's not doing giving you that (laughs) back breaking turnover he's not sitting there um where you're down and unless you're i guess Tom Brady against the Falcons in the Super Bowl uh, where you're down multiple scores and you have to abandon the run game and all of a sudden the the offense is no longer able to stay balanced. I think the one thing that Brock Purdy does really well, he takes care of the ball he's efficient with where it goes he allows the offense to stay in its identity and in that way I don't know if we're ever actually going to see Brock Purdy have to put the team on his back if we win Um, because if he's doing that then it's going to be a situation where all throughout the game we're still in the game
0: you mentioned the offensive line a little bit when you when you've watched film i'm thinking mainly spencer burford and colton mckivitz how have they looked because they were the concern coming in especially mckivitz um although i i feel like he's been better than burford uh at times but what what have you seen from those two
1: um mckivitz has been if you look at it i don't see any glaring drop-off from mike McGlinch and he's also coming in at like $14 million a year cheaper. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's not a problem. Uh, now he did struggle against TJ Watt. Now I think a lot of guys yeah. will struggle Who against TJ <laughs> Watt. Yeah. A lot of guys struggle in those situations. Also, you know, that's the first game of the year. And, and some of that, there like, there that strip sack that, um, that TJ Watt had that that's really on Brock Purdy. You know, he didn't get the ball. He's holding the ball a little long, mm-hmm. uh, Brock Purdy's only, only playing like his like ninth, tenth game. You know that's going to happen. So you know what we're not seeing is him getting dumped horizontally, uh, like Michael <laughs> Lynch would. You know Michael <laughs> Lynch always struggled to bend. Okay, he just <laughs> yeah. didn't didn't get low enough. And we're not seeing that from McKivitz. McKivitz might be a little bit slower in his kick step, but I'm not seeing anything there that says this guy's going to be a massive liability. Uh, with Spencer Burford, you know I, I think he's a he's come a long ways in the run game now i think pff scores have been a little rough on him uh especially i think it was week two uh he had he was given like a 0.0 pass grade i don't know how they give that kind of a grade um he was not that bad and and so you know he's has he been lights out he he did did have a poor game against the rams but that being said i think spencer burford will be fine going forward
0: good Well, let's turn our attention to the game that's coming up on Sunday um, against the Arizona Cardinals, because if you would have asked me a week ago what I think about this game, I'm thinking it's going to be probably boring if you're not a 49ers fan uh, because it's not going to be close. But after what they did to Dallas, now Dallas wasn't good. They committed 13 penalties for over 100 yards. The Dak Prescott threw an interception. They did not play well, um, but how much of that was the Cardinals? I mean, is this a team that actually could cause some problems for the 49ers?
1: I think they're a team that can cause some problems. Are they a team that scares me? No, I, I watched. I just got done today watching the film on the Cardinals and what you see is one the cowboys really struggled handling quarterback option runs so much like what we were seeing with our offense with trey lance or you were seeing in philadelphia with jalen hurts that the quarterback run as an option is baked into almost every run they have Uh, and Dallas really struggled with that and Arizona was able to get numbers in the run game. Now when it came to if they didn't get numbers in the run game, Dallas's front, it was usually a zero one yard run. Most of the times that I was seeing was defensive lapses from Dallas. There was mistakes. They would have two guys uh, two guys accounting for the quarterback and they would there would be a five on four or six on five blocking for the offense. I think the 49ers are going to come in much more prepared on that, and uh, I don't know if Dallas was just looking past them, if they didn't, their guys weren't on their P's and Q's about that. What was going on there? Another thing was, like you said, the penalties really extended a lot of drives for Arizona, and what that meant was that Arizona kept getting opportunities. They, you know, we've seen with our team sometimes you're going to have when you were committed to running the ball, you're going to have a lot of one, two, three mm-hmm. yard runs it's when you keep getting chances at it, you might break that 40 yarder off. And that's what you saw versus Dallas was that there would be either a penalty or somebody would play out of their gap or uh, the Cardinals really went after uh, it was uh Diggs backup number 26. I can't remember his name, um, but I remember because I see numbers on film number 26, they were going after him in man coverage and he gave up a number of first downs. Uh, they would just, they would isolate him, have a, 10 yard out route and he'd lose. I think they hit that like three times to extend drives. You know, when you're doing that kind of stuff, it's hard to then keep the other team from being able to run the ball.
0: One thing that I saw is that the Cardinals are really bad at tackling, which is important when you're playing football. I think they're one of the worst teams um, at uh, actually making tackles. like they've given up. I, I think it was almost 300 yards after first contact And now they have to play the Yak Kings. Um, You think think that's something that the 49ers are going to try to exploit
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, one thing that the foreigners are amazing at is that they have space beaters. So if you they put a guy in space, they are really tough to bring down. And the way Jonathan Gannon plays a lot of his defense, he's, he's a, Vic, a Vic Fangio disciple. So it's very Fangio-like in his defense. And so that means you're gonna have a lot of shell looks and you're going to have space underneath. It relies a lot on guys being able to tackle in that two to five yard range. That is what that defense is really based on. When you go back and look at Philadelphia, everything was about we're going to keep that and allow guys to attack downhill, have a monster defensive line to control the line of scrimmage, and we're going to go attack your short passing game and and, and tackle. And I think that's one thing that the 49ers were looking to exploit in that NFC Championship game. If we remember back to when Vic Fangio was with the 49ers in 2011 through uh, 14, we had that. We had great tackling safeties, Dante Mm -hmm. uh, Whitner, and... Um, Goldson, and we had amazing tackling linebackers, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, okay, so you had these guys who were really good at tackling in those situations, and Jonathan Gannon is building a defense very similar to that, is what he wants, but they don't have the talent on that side of the ball yet, and so I I think this is going to be a situation where you're, yeah, you're going to see a lot of stuff in between, to me, in between the numbers and the hashes, you're going to see a lot of passes in that zone to, to have space, that's where that defense is kind of vulnerable a little bit, so look for those, look for Debo in there, CMC in there, Kittle in there, and uh, and then when they go man coverage, they're going to try and go after go to IUC.
0: When the Cardinals are on offense, they like to run the ball, and they've been pretty good at it so far. They ran the ball 30 times for 222 yards against the Cowboys. I don't see them doing something like that against the 49ers. But I, I'm wondering, do you think that because Steve Wilkes has employed this six-man defensive or this five-man defensive line, um, do you think that he's going to do something like that uh, on Sunday, maybe more than he has so far? Absolutely. I think
1: that's one way that you are able to beat these uh, this multitude of, of, of running I, concepts. You know, it, I, was, I was kind of talking with somebody on the web zone the other day about it, uh, that It was actually, I think, yesterday about how that five five defensive linemen front some of the ways it will come up and press the tight end it really almost reminds you of the old bears 46 defense uh mm-hmm. you know they used to it was they were covering five and six guys on the line and the 46 defense was named after the safety uh his number was 46 and, and he was kind of this hybrid player that's where that came from but it was all about cover up every single lineman every every single blocking person along the line with one-on-ones and that's one thing that you have to do in this that you have to cover up every single guy on there so that you don't allow double teams into a weak spot And so in, in a lot of ways, the same philosophy I see with our five man defensive line, I I think will come into play. You're going to put Javon Hargrave right over that center. And so much of this is now, okay, now you're going to be asking that guard to come across and, and scoop block Javon Hargrave. That's a tough assignment, you know, or you're going to then be asking that center to be able to, to engage And defeat Javon Hargrave that is a really tough (laughs) ask for any any center in this league um even even for a you know a Jason Kelsey and who I think is the best center in the league so I think that's what you're going to see I think you're going to see a lot of him Javon Hargrave right over that center and control that and then let your defensive ends help uh account for the quarterback or or you're going to bring Isaiah Oliver in and help him account for the quarterback Uh, because Dobbs Dobbs will run it and uh, and he's physical when he runs it so I think they're going to say you know it's going to be either either Dre Greenlaw or Isaiah Oliver is going to go hit you in the mouth and we'll see how many times you're going to try and keep that how do you see this game coming out I think the Cardinals are unless they get really lucky and Dobbs you know is in, in some drop back is able to make some guys miss and get some explosive plays with his legs running down the field I think this is going to be a game that's going to be really hard for the Cardinals to score I really do and I don't see their defense really being able to slow down uh, San Francisco's quick passing game in the and the Yak brothers and the Yak guys I see it probably 31 to 6 I really don't see this as a close game
0: Johnny, this has been great, man. You really uh, are doing some great work, and I appreciate you taking the time. Tell everybody where they can find your show and um, and where they can find you on Twitter. You're on Twitter at uh... at Johnny
1: Dells, yeah. And it's All just right. like you see it on the screen. And For those listening, that's Johnny Dell with no H. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a John with an H. I'm a Jonathan, uh, so I go with <laughs> Johnny Dell. And then uh, on YouTube at Johnny Dells Football Academy. You can just Google Johnny Dell. And it's going to show up YouTube uh, for Johnny Dales Football Academy.
0: Yeah, definitely go check out his stuff because I've been watching and love the fact that I can bring that up and learn uh, some things that it really helps me with what I do. Um, And thank you for joining us. Uh, It's been a lot of fun Uh, wherever you're listening or watching. Make sure that you subscribe to both of our channels um, so that uh, you can help us reach more fans. But, uh, Johnny, thanks again for joining us and, uh, hope that, uh, hope that everything goes well for you and keeps on growing.
1: Hey, I sure appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I always am so grateful for anybody who's gracious enough to, uh, to let me speak to their audience. You know, I know that's a, that you're going to be a good gatekeeper over your audience. And so it's, uh, it's very humbling and honoring to be able to be asked on your show. So thank you.
0: Yeah, it's been our pleasure.